You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast, the News and Observer's political podcast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week, and here with me are Don Vaughn, Will Doran, and on the phone, Brian Murphy, our D.C. correspondent. Uh, We'll talk about what the General Assembly has left before it uh, potentially leaves for quite a long time. We'll talk about which presidential candidates are visiting North Carolina, uh, and let's start with what the latest campaign reports say about who's spending money and raising money in uh, federal campaigns, um, especially the U.S. Senate race, which is going to be the most closely watched, where um, Tom Tillis has challengers not only from Democrats, um, but from within his own party. So, um, Brian, what's the what do the latest reports tell us about um, where Tillis stands compared to the, the people who want to take him on? Yeah, well, Senator Tillis raised uh, $1.2 million in the third quarter, which includes July, August, and September. That's normally a little bit of a of a lull in the fundraising calendar, and I think we saw that with some of the numbers that came in. But uh, Tom Tillis led the way with $1.2 million. Uh, Cal Cunningham, a Democrat who's sort of the, the in establishment choice, I think, in, in the Democratic race, raised uh, about $1 million, right around $1 million. Um, Garland Tucker, who is a Raleigh businessman or a retired Raleigh businessman, has invested now $1.2 million of his own money into the campaign. Now, that's over the lifetime of the campaign. But um, those three really stand out as outliers in the race. Um, Erica Smith, another Democratic candidate, raised about $45,000 um, in the quarter. Uh, Trevor Fuller, another Democratic candidate, raised $576. That's not a misstatement. Um, you know, Smith. Right. Correct. Correct. Um, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, but that from one person, three hundred dollars came from one person, a donor in New York. Everything else was less than two hundred and fifty dollars, so it didn't have to be itemized. So we'll never know where the, those dollars came from. But only one itemized donation, a three hundred dollar donation from a New York lawyer. Um, and so I think, you know, we've seen a, a bunch of polling that indicates that both Cunningham and Smith are running neck and neck with uh, Senator Tillis. Um, you wonder how long that will hold up, uh, given the, the financial disparity between the two candidates. Um, Smith, though, has, you know, she talks to the press a lot, has made uh, s- some statements that have gotten her a lot of attention, um, certainly has the attention of, of some. You know, the National Republicans put up a billboard uh, with her name on it um, and her face on it, um, highlighting her campaign. The progressive wing of the party has backed her to some degree uh, through some of its PACs. Um, it'll be interesting to see how long she can compete um, in the Democratic primary. You know, is it really all about money or, um, you know, are there some other factors that are going to come into play here? Is Cunningham starting to get out in public more? He had been um, criticized essentially for um, being stuck in a, quote, windowless basement, according to um, one politician, uh, basically dialing for dollars, dialing for fundraising. Um, has he started to uh, have more public uh, um, appearances or was he having them all along? 
you know, his his campaign contends that he was the, having them all along. What what I've noticed is that they are publicizing those much more. Uh, he is, uh, you know, through photographs, through video, uh, through their Twitter feed and other and other, um, you know, uh, outreach email things like that. They're really publicizing these events. You know, showing him with North Carolinians, showing him doing interviews. Um, it, it's interesting how how much that windowless basement comment has sort of caught fire, not only with Republicans who have been using it to hammer uh, Cal Cunningham, but also with Democratic opponents. Um, Erica Smith, I talked to her this week. She mentioned it. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if that is just a political thing. And, and of course, what we're talking about is Jeff Jackson in a um, in a leaked uh, interview that he in, in a leaked speech that he gave at a class at UNCC said. Um, that when he talked to Chuck Schumer about running for the Senate, Schumer said that he would be, you know, he, he didn't want to hear about Jackson's plan to do 100 town halls in 100 days. Uh, what he wanted was Jackson to be in a windowless basement uh, making phone calls for donations for 16 hours a day. Uh, that windowless basement part has really been seized on by the political class, both Republicans and Democrats, as I said. I don't know if that's filtering down to to actual voters and I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be. I mean, let's remember that in 2014, the Tillis-Hagan race, um, when you consider candidate spending and outside spending, was the richest U.S. Senate race, the most expensive U.S. Senate race in history to that point. Um, North Carolina is a very expensive state to advertise in, in part, large part because there are about seven television markets you need to be in um, to cover the whole state. So I imagine uh, you know, raising funds is going to be a huge issue in this race. And I, I'm not sure it's going to be fair to criticize one candidate or another about how much money they're going to have to raise. But we'll see if that windowless basement comment, you know, has a longer shelf life than I think. Okay. And um, meanwhile, Tom Tillis has been um, pretty steadfast on uh, President Trump's side, even as a whole lot of uh, other Republicans are finding themselves free to, to criticize the president, which is a little unusual. Um, but Tillis has not been, right? Right. Right. I mean, Senator Lindsey Graham, who's a, a staunch Trump ally, has been hypercritical about uh, the actions with Turkey and Syria. Senator Mitt Romney uh, is another one that has been vocal. Other Republicans have at least expressed a little bit of misgivings about the Ukraine situation, the Ukraine phone call. Um, Mick Mulvaney's uh, comments yesterday about seeming to acknowledge that there was a quid pro quo. Um, so some Republicans have been willing to step out a little bit and, and if not be overly critical of the president, at least, you know, raise some concern. Senator Tillis ha has not done that. Um, his strategy, campaign strategy thus far has been to run very closely to President Trump. His first campaign ad featured Trump talking about what a warrior Tom Tillis has been. Um, he has been loath to to go anywhere near criticizing the president. And uh, I imagine that will stand uh, at least through the primary. And meanwhile, he's clearly taking his opponent in the primary seriously. Tillis has, has launched a, a website um, criticizing uh, his, his challenger, Garland Tucker. Yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, Garland Tucker's put $1.2 million of his own money into his campaign. He's also raised uh, you know, some, some money on, the, on top of that. And so uh, the Tillis campaign certainly taking him seriously, has taken out radio ads against Garland Tucker, um, calling him a never-Trumper. Uh, Tucker did write an op-ed that appeared in the News and Observer uh, right before the 2016 election saying that he would vote for, for Trump, but it was a reluctant vote for Trump. It was a Trump is better than Clinton vote, 
and certainly expressed some misgivings about the president um, at that time, including some of his uh, some of Trump's personal failings. Um, Tucker now says that Trump has been more conservative than he ever thought he would be as president and uh, and backs him and is really trying to make two issues the the central focus of his campaign. One is federal spending. I mean, federal spending and foreign spending, uh, financial um you know, foreign assistance. And the second is immigration. And, and, and even though Tucker donated to the Tillis campaign in 2014, he says that Senator Tillis has not been as conservative or as consistent on those two issues, federal spending, notably foreign aid and immigration as he'd like him to be. Um, Senator Tillis, of course, disagrees with that. Um, but, but that's what's shaping up to be the battle lines in that one. We've seen some polling uh, that indicate that you know, Tom Tillis may be stuck in the 33 to 37% range as far as approval ratings, as far as uh, people who are willing to vote for him at this point. Um, you know, but given that it's a presidential race and it's going to turn out a lot of Trump supporters, you would think, um, you know, that strategy of hewing very closely to the president might might be a winning strategy. You looked into Tucker's background for a story earlier this week. Um, what did you find? What should we know about Garland Tucker? Yeah, I, you know, I, he, I think he's well known among a certain part of the Raleigh business community. He started several companies, including Triangle Capital Corporation, which he founded in the early 2000s, retired as CEO in, in 2016. The company had a sterling reputation and, and Tucker himself had a, had a sterling reputation um, through most of that time uh, after Tucker left the company. Uh, the new CEO criticized Tucker and some of his strategies and business decisions for a downturn in the company, um, which was eventually sold in 2018. Uh, several lawsuits were filed by investors who felt like they may have lost some money because of some poor investment strategies. It was largely an investment company um, that took money from outside investors, invested in 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 medium-sized companies um, and then, you know, made profits from those companies and then was able to return a dividend to its investors. Um, some of those investors after the company was sold and, and saw some of the, the payments that went out to some of the top executives um, sued. All those cases have been dismissed. Um, it, it's, it's unclear whether um, Tucker's business reputation has been truly harmed. Um, he, he did retire as CEO in 2016. Most of the troubles came in 2017 and 2018, even though the, the CEO attributed him to decisions Tucker had made in 2014 and 2015. Um, you know, Tucker also is pretty well known in the conservative community. He's written two books, um, both about conservative parts of American history, including the 1924 election, um, which he says was the last time that both major parties nominated conservative candidates. Um, you know, Tucker's certainly made a lot of money from that and is able to uh, from his businesses and is able to invest that money in this campaign. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, at the beginning of the campaign, there were some numbers thrown out as to how much of his own money he'd be willing to put in. We're reaching sort of the upper limits of that. It'll be interesting to see if he can generate enough fundraising from others um, to, you know, to offset him, maybe not putting in some of his money. Lastly, I talked to some people with his campaign, and they've been a bit disappointed that, that some of the people who encouraged him to run have not rallied and, and brought support. Some of that comes from the national Republicans saying that they will not work with people who challenge or support challengers to incumbents. And so whatever the, the national Republicans are saying about you know, not using firms that work for challengers appears to be having an effect. Well, and in, in, in past years, we've seen, you know, te- 
Tea Party type groups or other big political groups come in in support of challengers. Is it any of that happening? Is there independent efforts? There doesn't there doesn't appear to be. Um, Tucker appears to be on his own, and, and I I think part of that is Donald Trump, the president, has um, sort of coalesced the entire party around him. There's not really a, a Tea Party wing anymore. That those people, the, the Mark Meadows of the world, have have been co opted into the into the Trump uh, movement. If anything, the reaction to Trump is on the other side of the party, um, and and we've seen what happened to Jeff Flake and Bob Corker and and other candidates who have disavowed Trump. They've been quickly excommunicated from the party, and so. Very much the party has coalesced around Trump, and I don't think there are the factions out there for a challenger to go to unless you want to run as sort of an anti-Trump candidate, and and not many people have had success that way. Yes, I think on that note, I think we just saw a headline that said Mark Sanford had one person show up to his rally to challenge Donald Trump um, in the primary. Um, so that probably tells you something <laughs> not about Not just the, a rally, his campaign kickoff. <laughs> Oh. Was it a reporter? <laughs> um, I think one person maybe besides a reporter. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm looking for it right now. And it's, it does say that this person was the only reporter there. So um, go, go people go, people can go look that up to get the exact numbers. Um, but it was it was not heavily attended. Maybe um, everyone was on the Appalachian Trail. For an anti-Trump uh, person running in the Republican Party. Yes, yes. Well, especially since South Carolina is, is potentially not even going to have a primary. Um so um, the probably much less expensive and less closely contested um, U.S. House races um, also saw some money come out, uh, money reports come out this week. And Will, um, was there anything in there that makes it look like any of these uh, are going to be competitive or um, going to be a real, a real race? Well, if you look at... Um past results, and, you know, we should add the caveat because, you know, we always have to talk about gerrymandering every single uh, podcast. There mm-hmm. is a lawsuit out there right now challenging the, the congressional maps as unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering. So it's possible that the uh, the 2020 elections might happen under using different maps than the 2018 elections did. Um, but if the maps are the same, then basically there were there were basically two races in 2018 that were pretty competitive, um, both won by Republicans, but by fairly small margins, uh, George Holding and Ted Budd, uh, both won those two races, uh, Ted Budd kind of out in the triad, and then George Holding uh, here in the triangle, and um, Ted Budd raised a pretty decent amount of money in the third quarter, um, but Holding really didn't, um, and I've, uh, I've been trying to reach out to his campaign and to the National Republican uh, Congressional Committee to, to basically, you know, figure out what, what's going on there. Um, but uh, Holding had the, uh, the the closest race in the state in 2018, and he raised uh, he raised less than $10,000 from individual donors in the third quarter. Um, every other Republican basically raised at least 60000 Most of them raised well over 100000 He raised under 10000 from individual donors. Um, but he did get a lot of money from PACs, um, different various corporate groups, and so he ended up taking in around $175,000 in the third quarter, um, which was still the, uh, it, it was lower than all of his Republican colleagues, uh, except for um, uh, Mark Walker uh, from Greensboro, who raised uh, around $100,000. Um, 
But that was mostly because Walker didn't really get any help from packs. Uh, he, he ended up raising a lot more money from individual people than Holden did. He just didn't get the packs um, coming in. But, uh, it, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. Obviously, money is not the only reason why politicians win or lose elections. But uh, to have the candidate in what had been previously the state's closest seat raising so little money from individual, you know, quote-unquote, real people... Um, you know, I, I'd imagine there's some national Republicans who aren't really too happy with that uh, with that fundraising performance. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll hear refrains of people telling him that you know he needs to get in that same window as basement that uh, <laughs> that right. Cal Cunningham's van. It's, it's going to be pretty crowded <laughs> in there. I, I would point out two, I would point out two things. One, uh, de- national Democrats are really going after NC two in this election. They feel like it's probably the best opportunity to flip a seat of all the Republican held seats. The other caveat I would say is that North Carolina nine obviously was much closer than North Carolina two. Um, but we've sort of left that out given, given all the things that happened in North Carolina nine. But if you take out North Carolina nine, will is 100% correct. North Carolina two was the next closest race among all congressional races in 2018. True. And yeah, looking at the, the two special elections that we had, it's, it's clear that, you know, one of those races is, you know, or one of those seats is competitive and one is not, um, you know, Dan Bishop uh, raised in even not even the whole third quarter, just part of it, uh, like $800,000 in that ninth district race against Cal Cunningham. Uh, meanwhile, in the third district, uh, Greg Murphy raised uh, very little money. Like, I think it was around $140,000, if my memory is correct, um, because, you know, that, that race out there was really just all about, you know, the, the Republican primary. Once it got to the general, it's it's a done deal. That's a Republican seat. But, yeah, the ninth district, like you said, Brian, that's... Uh, a real competitive one, and uh, and actually, uh, yeah, Dan Bishop has, I, I believe, the most money of any uh, congressman in North Carolina right now, and he's been in Congress for you know a couple weeks. <laughs> any anything else in the congressional races that any of you guys uh, noticed that's that's notable? The uh, I mean, really, the other thing was the the Democrats really weren't doing too hot on the fundraising trail either. Uh, none of them hold or uh, not holding. <laughs> he just talked about holding. Uh, Butterfield, Price, Alma Adams. Uh, none of them really had impressive fundraising numbers at all. Of course, they're all in in fairly Very safe, safe seats, districts, so you know they're they're not really under the same kind of pressure that some of the Republicans in the closer seats are. But I would say the one thing people are keeping an eye on from D.C. is is what happens with the gerrymandering gerrymandering lawsuit and if these districts then have to change once again. I mean, most people are most candidates are running as if the districts are going to be the same, um, given the the time it takes to for things to work their way through court. But that that is looming over all of these races is are the districts going to change? We also saw the numbers for how much the presidential candidates on the Democratic side raised in North Carolina. And, and again, for the second quarter in a row, Joe Biden um, was pretty uh, far in, in the lead from North Carolina donors. Um, Don, you have been tracking where the candidates have been going. Um, and uh, there haven't been too many visits yet, but we expect that to start ramping up pretty soon since um, we're, we're only four months away from voting in North Carolina's primary, and uh, North Carolina is going to be part of the the Super Tuesday lineup of, of states that uh, I believe have award 40% of all the delegates in the Democratic race. So um, they've started to come to North Carolina. Where where are they going, and, and where are they not going? 
Uh, well, Biden is coming here next. Um, he, on Sunday, October 27th, will be coming to Durham for an undesignated, quote-unquote, community event that um, late afternoon, evening, that they're already asking the public to RSVP for. Um, and it'll probably just kind of be his sort of general campaign rally. It's the according to the campaign. He's going to lay out his vision for America, listen to voters' concerns and ideas about restoring soul of the nation, rebuilding middle class, unifying the country, which is basically the same kind of stuff he's always been talking about. Um, the last politician, or presidential candidate, rather, that's visited Durham was... Kamala Harris, and she came. Um, it was a private slash public event. She spoke. At, she was the keynote speaker at the Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People's banquet in August. Um, but that had been um, planned for months, and they invited her. And while she was here, she also spoke at um, St. Joseph AME Church, and during the next day. And then had a campaign event in Greensboro, and then uh, apparently had gone down to a fundraiser in Charlotte that, that wasn't part of the previous <laughs> announcement. So Biden's thing will be a little bit different. Um, he's kind of, we don't know what the event is yet, but basically he's coming to make his pitch um, to the Durham crowd, which as most listeners know, um, Durham is overwhelmingly blue. Um, also blue is Chapel Hill, where Bernie Sanders um, came in September on his college tour trying to, I guess, restart or start again this college student um, young voter following that he had. Of course, college students now um, were in you know, middle school or um, high school the last time um, he was campaigning and got the momentum. And the students that Will and I covered that and... Um, you know, they're kind of just open to listening to everybody. So I think a lot of voters, maybe if they've already decided that they're not voting for Trump and they'll just, you know, vote in the primary and decide who they want to be the Democratic nominee or, or sort of giving everyone a chance. Of course, maybe older voters or more politicos are, are kind of entrenched in who they want. Uh, Elizabeth Warren hasn't come here yet, which is kind of a surprise. Um, You'd think that she would get rolling over here since others have already come. Cory Booker barely came in. He came to um, a Charlotte church. You'd think Booker would have been here more since his dad went to um, NC Central University and Booker was the commencement speaker there um, probably you know five, ten years ago. And um, Castro came to Durham um, with the fight for $15 an hour, the minimum wage um, protesters, and that was back in May. So it's interesting that these three candidates are all coming to Durham, which is, you know, um, obviously heavily Democrat anyway, um, trying to see who they can, who they can sway uh, their direction. So we'll see where, um, where Biden ends up coming. He is probably also courting um, African-American voters. Um, the way Harris clearly was with the events that she spoke at, um, of course, she is also. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. We haven't had Buttigieg or, um, like I mentioned before, Warren come through. Um, and some of it has been Biden's thing was a fundraiser, Erskine Bowles House. So um, we'll see what the, what the crowd says about him because um, there really hasn't been sort of a, a big general campaign event with any of um, any of these candidates that have come. So going to Durham, Chapel Hill, even Asheville, um, they've gone to some of the, the liberal centers of the state. Um, Charlotte, too, for quite a few visits, but um, a lot of these K-12 
candidates are spending a lot of time in South Carolina, so it's fairly easy to duck over the border to Charlotte yeah. um, in, in coordination with a, a trip to South Carolina, who has one of the first four um, contests. But in they the, haven't in come the to Raleigh, which I, I think Raleigh. is surprising yeah. because yeah. there are more voters here. I, I'm not sure what the political demographics are. I think it's about half and half, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit. He- I think it's heavier Democrat in Raleigh and not as much in the county. Um, so I don't, I don't know why. It makes sense. I mean, the cities are 30 minutes apart. Um, so maybe there'll be some surprise of it or something. Who knows? I have a feeling that during the general election, Dawn is going to be like, stop coming here. Please stop yeah. coming to Raleigh. Yeah, I think eventually, you know, the first time they come, it'll be interesting. It's a and, fun, and, and then it'll be like, um, all right, that's, that, you know, y'all are a dime a dozen at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I think the visits. I think, didn't we have, during the 2016 general election, didn't we have more combined visits by Trump and Clinton than any other state? Or we were at least up there, I know. Well, I remember um, when Hillary and Obama, before that primary, and they came, I felt like they came to, I was covering Durham then, they came to travel over Durham, it seemed like every other week. Um, And it got to the point of, you know, enough. Um, So I think once we get closer to March, uh, that's going to be pretty, uh, pretty, and I don't know. Well, there's a chance that the nominee will say um, with the general, you know, um, that they may not come as much. I mean, even though like North Carolina's, pur- you know, quote unquote purple, um, depending on what, where else their priorities are, or if they'll just come for the um, big impact events, um, or you know, not do these like smaller, smaller places. So. I think it also depends on who the um, who it looks like the nominee is going to be too. Trump won North Carolina in 2016, uh, but it, and it wasn't as close as, as some of the previous um, elections have been, and and the candidates might end up focusing more in the industrial Midwest, um, mm-hmm. where there were surprises last time. Um, but we'll see. Um, I would guess we'll be seeing a whole lot of them anyway, um, and definitely here before the primary. So. Um, Okay, well, let's take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us. Headliner of the Week. 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 Who's hot? Welcome back to Domecast. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Headliner of the Week, where we decide the most important person in this week's news. Don Vaughn, who's your headliner? Um, going on what I talked about earlier about Durham, I'm going to say the Durham voter uh, because this will be now with Biden coming, the third presidential candidate in less than six months coming um, to obviously a friendly town um, as far as uh, Democrats go, but maybe not as friendly to every candidate. So I'm going to say the Durham voter because they'll have a hand in um, picking the um, voting in the primary just as every other county. Okay. Durham, uh, getting more than its share of presidential candidates. Will Doran, who's your headline? I'm going to go with the NCAA. Um, earlier this week, the News and Observer and the New York Times and a couple local TV stations filed a lawsuit against NC State, uh, seeking some public records from, uh, probably y'all remember, the Adidas uh, college basketball recruiting scandal, where basically some Adidas execs and some agents and runners and types like that um, actually ended up going to prison for essentially paying athletes to go to Adidas uh, contracted schools. NC State is an Adidas school. There were allegations that uh, Dennis Smith Jr., who's a big star now in the NBA, uh, was paid at least $40,000 to attend NC State. 
uh, for the year that he was there. Um, and we have been trying for basically two years now to get uh, records on this case uh, from the school. And they've turned over some of the records, um, but they have refused to turn over others, um, largely actually kind of dealing with the NCAA side of things um, because the NCAA has this thing uh, this online portal that they set up to give universities these documents uh, to look at, which really just seems like it exists in large part to circumvent public records laws. Um, it is, you know, public records law says that, you know, anything that, you know, state agencies either create or receive is a public record. So the NCAA has found out this way to create this portal where they don't actually, you know, email or mail or, you know, send any records to the universities, including in this case NC State, they just allow them to look at it on this website that the universities don't control. So they're now saying that because of this website, they can't really send us any documents. And we are essentially in our lawsuit saying that we don't buy it. You know, y'all have looked at these documents. These documents were prepared for you. They're public records. So, and if if we end up winning this lawsuit and get everything we want for it, it'll apply not only to NC State, but to every UNC system school. So uh, UNC, which actually the NCAA had kind of this exact same system set up with UNC during their investigation over the class scandal um, and, you know, potentially other schools in the future uh, could kind of open up some records, shine some light on, uh, you know, what's going on in the sometimes shady world of college athletics. And public records laws do say that the records are public. If records are public, they're, reg they're public regardless of the form that they come in. Um, so it really shouldn't matter um, where you're viewing them, um, especially if, if some of the records come from NC State originally. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, it's good to have a coalition of, of media groups teaming up on these. Uh, and, uh, and we'll find out where it goes. Um, Brian Murphy, who's your headliner? Well, since Will is creeping in on my uh, sports headliners of the week, I I'm going to yeah. go with uh, Mick Mulvaney, who uh, grew up in Charlotte, uh, attended law school at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, uh, and is now the acting chief of staff for the Trump administration. Um, and he really stepped in it yesterday, uh, which would be Thursday. Um, uh, came out to to speak to the press at the in the in the white house briefing room, which doesn't get used very often these days. Uh, but Mulvaney came out to announce that, uh, Trump's club in Doral was going to host the G seven, uh, which caused lots of outcry from, from the left and, and, and some Republicans have expressed some concerns about awarding a giant contract like that to your, to yourself and your own organization. Uh, but Mulvaney also faced a lot of questions about, uh, the Ukraine situation and, and appeared to say, I don't know, uh, I don't even think it was an appearance. He said that the, the money, the foreign aid was held up to Ukraine uh, because they were waiting. The, the Trump administration was waiting for the Ukraine to investigate uh, the 2016 DNC server issue. Um, he later backtracked uh, a few hours later, came out with a statement saying that that is not what he said. And the media was misconstruing it. But I, I have a feeling that Mick Mulvaney, uh, who grew up in Charlotte, is going to be uh, spending a lot of time in the in the media spotlight over the next few weeks. And uh, I believe, was he also the one who convened the meeting on, uh, on Ukraine that was in the news this week? 
Uh, he, he's been mentioned a lot in this Ukraine, and the reason the Ukraine, you know, for for listeners, the reason the Ukraine is such a big deal is it is at the heart of the Democrats' impeachment inquiry, uh, which is moving at light speed in in the U.S. House of Representatives, um, and so lots of people from Rudy Giuliani to Rick Perry to Mick Mulvaney are being drawn into the orbit of this, as well as you know, sort of lesser known characters that are getting their their fifteen minutes of fame um, are all being drawn in into this House impeachment, and I, I have no doubt. Uh, that Mulvaney, as he also works at the Office of uh, Budget and Management, as the one who decided to actually stop those payments to the Ukraine, uh, is going to get at least subpoenaed or, or documents subpoenaed by the by the House uh, before before long. Okay. Okay. Um, Mick Mulvaney in the hat as well for headliner of the week, and uh, I'm going to go with Mick Mulvaney uh, for headliner of the week. Um, and um, especially because it was it was uh, a, a, a nice job by reporters questioning him yesterday, um, really following up very quickly on um, the fact that he said this as if it was not a big deal um, and pinning him down to actually clarify what he said and, and clarifying it to say that that this was um, one thing being traded for another and, and then saying this happens all the time. Uh, and so it was really kind of a, a, a surprising exchange, but, but reporters did a good job questioning him. Uh, and so Brian Murphy is our winner this week, and that's it for Domecast. Uh, for Don Vaughn, Will Doran, and Brian Murphy, I'm Jordan Schrader. Catch us next week. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News & Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.